pre-grade request office hours, where we take an in-depth look at a single topic or question that's on our mind. My name is Professor Mark Sheriff. Yeah, we decided to just make this a segment. Office hours is going to be a time when either me or Will come on and talk about a single topic that is on our mind. Maybe it's a question that's been asked. Maybe it's something that's come up recently in our class that we think everyone would be interested in. But, you know, it's just an opportunity for us to just not have to deal with the other person interrupting. I mean, giving their insightful opinion on all the different topics. Or maybe I just didn't want to talk about end-of-the-world scenarios anymore. So, what is on my mind right now? Well, software updates. Okay, that sounds kind of boring, but let me, let me tell you why I think this is interesting, something you might actually care about. So... All of us have used a piece of software where at some point, probably, it says, hey, uh, there's a new update. Do you want to download it? Or, oh, updating to the latest version. Please restart. Or do you want to up, uh, restart now to do the... You've seen these. And many of you have probably said, I'm not, do, I'm not touching that. I'm not... <laughs> it, it all works. Uh, I'm not touching that button. I'm going to say later. And I'm going to say later. I'm going to say later. I'm going to say later. And you end up with this eternal procrastination of software updates. Well, why are those software updates even coming? What does that mean? Why, why is the software changing? You know, sometimes you press the button, okay, do the update. And it's like, hey, I've done some stuff. And you went and got some coffee and you came back and it looks like literally nothing's happened. Well, probably something happened. You just might not be able to see it right now. So... That's what I want to talk to you about today. What are software updates? Why do they, why do they matter? What do some of the, the, the things mean? So let's say you get an update that says, oh, we're, we're moving from version 3.8 to version 4. Ooh, that sounds nice. That's a, that's a whole number. That's, a, that's, that's 0.2 bigger. Or maybe you'll see something like, oh, we're going from version 3.1.2 to 3.1.3. And you're like, that's not how decimals work. Why are there more decimals there? That does, wait a minute, that's confusing. Well, let me tell you what those numbers mean. This is not true of every piece of software, but this is a generally accepted, understood breakdown, okay? You're going to have three numbers separated by two periods, number, dot, number, dot, number. The first number we would call the major version, okay? When the major version number goes up, that tends to mean that the software has a new architecture behind it, something brand new. They've changed the user interface. They've changed something fundamental about the way the software works such that it might not necessarily be compatible with older versions. Not always the case. Not always the case. Could you imagine if you up upgraded Microsoft Word and couldn't open any of your old Word documents? Yeah, that'd be bad. So it's not, that's not a constant, but... In general, if that first number goes up, that means big deal, major change, new version. And often it's going to mean you have to pay again if you've purchased the software. We'll talk about that in a minute. The second number is often called the minor version number. So 3.1 to 3.2 would be a minor version upgrade. So what's the difference between a, a major version update and a minor version update? Well, sometimes you have a piece of software and it's working great and everyone, you know, you're still in that kind of big release period, but now you want to add a new feature. Maybe you want to add, oh, now 
it has Dropbox integration and you can actually save files directly to Dropbox. Or maybe it now has Twitter integration and now you can tweet something from your site. It's an example, you know, it's a new, it's a new feature. When the minor version number goes up, we tend to see something of value on the user side. There's, there could be some stuff going on in the background. I'll talk about that in a second, but you tend to see something. It could just be a minor change, <laughs> minor change, uh, a new features added, but it's not like the whole system is brand new. Then we have that last number. So now let's say we go from 3.1.0 to 3.1.1. Well, that sounds especially small. Well, that last number we often refer to as the bug fix number. When that number goes up, that tends to mean that the software has had something fixed, but there is no new functionality. Ideally, if that number goes up, the user should see nothing, nothing change. Well, except that whatever the problem was goes away. If the problem was it was, you know, crashing every time you hit the Z key, maybe that, you know, maybe that's not happening now, but that's the bug fix number. So when that number goes up, the user, you know, it's good to do because it's fixing some sort of problem. And, and that doesn't mean that there aren't bug fixes in major versions and minor versions. It's just that when the bug fix number goes up, that's really all they're doing. It's just making some minor adjustments to make the software a little bit better. You know, it's not failing as much. Generally a good thing. Now, sometimes, sometimes after that last number, you'll see another number, maybe in parentheses. So maybe you see 3.2.3 and then in parentheses, 1,264. Now, for your average user, you don't care about this number. Computer science-y people, that number tends to refer to the build number. Now, the build number means this is the xth time that we have compiled the software into a product that is potentially ready to be released, maybe, kind of, sort of. The build number is a constantly increasing number, always going up whenever someone checks in new code into the continuous integration system and then the new system is built together. But that doesn't mean that there's been 1,260-whatever releases. Matter of fact, when you go from 3.1.3 to 3.1.4, it might be version 1,300 now. because you go through a bunch of builds until you finally get the one that you're like, okay, this one is actually ready to go out to, to, to the public. Now that number is really useful for computer scientists and for software developers, because then when you are referring to a problem in the software, you can say, oh, go check build number X. And then you get, you're getting super specific about exactly which, which version of the code base you should be looking at. So that, that makes it, you know, really, really handy to be able to do that. So you average user uh, are using your software and then this update thing pops up. Well, should you do it? Well, I just gave you three different reasons for what's going on. First number, new, brand new, cool stuff, brand new version of the software. Why would you not update then? Well, Possibly you're not updating because it's another paid version. Again, we'll talk about paid software in a second, but um, it could be that you're worried about, oh, well, a, a brand new major version. Well, that, that sometimes can introduce new bugs. 
Because it's, it's a new, brand new code base to some degree. I mean, it varies. So, for instance, macOS Monterey was just released a few weeks ago-ish at, this, at the time of recording. And a lot of people looked at that and said, uh, Big Sur is working just fine for me. I'm worried if I upgrade to Monterey, it changes something the back end that really affects something I do day to day. I'm just going to wait until the next 0.1 version of Monterey comes out where they theoretically have fixed some of these bugs. That's really common to do. Brand new major version comes out, you decide, you know what? This is mission critical that this software is working for me right now. I'm just going to ignore this right now until I, you know, I'm confident that it's ready to be brought into my workflow. So that's often when you would skip that one. The minor version numbers and the bug fix version numbers, though, those tend to be ones that you want to go ahead and do, in my opinion. Um, generally, those are either going to be just feature ads, so it's not going to really change anything about your current workflow. There just might be a new thing there that you get to do. And for bug fixes, I hope that goes without saying, <laughs> we found problem, we fixed it. M maybe you should install that. That seems like a good idea. Well, what are the other things that could be coming down? In software engineering, which is the subject that, that Will McBurney and I teach, in, the, in software maintenance, we tend to break down these changes into three major categories. Corrective, perfective, and adaptive. So if there is a corrective change to software, that sounds exactly what you, what you might think it is. There's a problem. There's a bug. Something's failing. We need to correct it. So a lot of people think of software maintenance and when these updates are coming down is a lot of it is, is a form of, of corrective maintenance. And yeah, a lot of it could be that way. And it could be that people have been reporting errors to the software constantly like, oh, the, here are all these problems. Does that mean they're all getting fixed? No, it doesn't. Because fixes take time. Fixes take resources. And there's a finite amount of time and resources that a development team can put on a project. So if there is a bug that's discovered in the software that is low priority. So let's say, for instance, you have a button that's supposed to be blue, but instead it's green. The software still works. Nothing is failing, but there's somewhere where it refers to press the press the, the blue button or press the green button. It's got the colors mixed up. OK, it's a little confusing. Is that necessarily affecting a lot of people? This is something that software engineers have to learn how to do is determine what is the operational profile of the software? What's the likelihood that someone is going to run into that bug and it be a major issue? Well, let's say, for instance, the bug is in Microsoft Word and you can't save. That's a big deal. Obviously, that's going to get prioritized. We got to get that absolutely fixed all the time. Let's say there's a problem in Microsoft Word's mail merge. Now, think for a moment. Have you ever used mail merge? Some of you have. Mail merge is a very, very powerful tool, particularly for people who are in, in, in roles where you have to, to make like name badges or you have to send out mailings to a whole bunch of people. Because what mail merge does is it takes an Excel spreadsheet and a Microsoft Word document file and squishes them together like peanut butter and chocolate until something beautiful comes out that you can print. 
the user interface for that has not changed in many, 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 many years because, well, it's not a high visibility feature. It's very important to some people, but your average word user never touches it. So those corrective uh, changes get prioritized. Perfective. Well, perfective is we are adding something new. We are giving you more value. Why would a company want to give you more value for a piece of software you have already purchased? If it's, if it's that form of software, you, you purchased a license and you know, they're not getting any more money from you. Well, one, it's, you know, almost marketing to a degree. If they keep updating the software and the new version comes out, you're much more likely to say, oh, that company is keeping up with that software. I need to make, you know, I'll need to update when it's time. It's also a form of, I mean, for instance, um, Animal Crossing New Horizons, a game on the Switch. I love it very much. My little girl loves it very much. They just released a gigantic update just uh, uh, November 6th. And it has reignited the game. Um, it is now being talked about on the video game uh, podcasts and, and on video game websites. And uh, the people who've been playing the game and they've kind of fallen off have now gotten back into the game and they're very excited about it and they're making more sales. And that that's what they want to do. So good. Now, another form of perfective maintenance that you should hopefully never see as a user is it's code's kind of messy sometimes. So, you know, sometimes, you know, You've, you've probably um, written shorthand at some point, just made some abbreviations and you've gone back to it later and you've gone like, I have absolutely no idea what I just wrote down. Yeah, programmers do that too, except they do it worse. As in, oh, I'm going to name my variables in this, in this part of the code X. Uh, and this one's X1. And this one's Y. And this one's Y1. And this one's Z. ZZ. ZZZ. Yeah. And then they go back and the variable should have been name, birthday, address, you know, things like that. So extreme example. But in order for code to be usable into the future and maintainable into the future, we, we kind of have to go clean up those mistakes. And, and sometimes people aren't great about cleaning up those mistakes. And so that is a form of perfective maintenance. Finally, there's adaptive maintenance. Let's say, for instance, you did upgrade to macOS Monterey, or maybe you've updated to Windows 11, or you have an iOS device and it updated to iOS 15 recently. You might have had a piece of software that said, hey, I can't run anymore on this new operating system because it does things differently. There was a big deal about this. Gosh, I'm not going to get the years right. But at some point, maybe five or six years ago, um, iOS went from a 32-bit architecture to a 64-bit architecture, solely 64-bit architecture. And what that basically meant was programs written for the old architecture, for the old 32-bit architecture, literally would not run on the new iOS. And and for a time, it would still run the 32-bit, but it says, hey, at some point, this is going away. We're not going to support this. And it did. And there's a lot of games I have on iOS that I can't play anymore because they were written for 32-bit, not 64-bit, and the developers never updated them. They never performed adaptive maintenance. Adaptive maintenance is when we are 
making changes to software so it continues to run in the environment that we have. So it could be something like an update to an operating system, a new piece of hardware, perhaps. Uh, maybe um, there's adaptive maintenance has to be done on printer drivers when there's new versions of printers that come out. So corrective, perfective, adaptive. These are the types of things that we are trying to fix when we are, uh, as software engineers, updating software and then pushing those updates out to you. Now, if you have a purchased piece of software, as in you bought a license for it, you went down to the Best Buy, you bought something. Uh, I don't even know if people buy physical media anymore. It's kind of crazy. I, I, I don't even know if I have a machine that has a DVD drive on it anymore. But if you bought a single version of a piece of software, you tend to get the minor and the bug fixes for free. Tend to. That's, that's pretty common. Um, that just means that they are continuing to update that particular branch of the software. But then when a new major version comes out, you have to buy a new version of it. Um, some systems that I use that do this, like Sublime Text, which is a, a, a text editor that I use for, for coding, uh, when it went from version two to version three, the major number change, I had to buy a new license for it. Um, uh, but a lot of software now is moving more to a subscription format. And so in a subscription format, more of a software as a service format, what you do is you, you pay X amount of money uh, per year. And, it, you know, it's kind of like next Netflix for software. It, well, that's, that's a stretch because it's not like you get like a suite of software. It kind of depends. I think a great example of this software as a, a, by, by, by subscription is what you get from Adobe's Creative Cloud. So Adobe makes some pretty impressive media tools. So Photoshop is the one everyone's heard of. Premiere is the video editing tool. Audition is the audio editing tool. As a matter of fact, it's the tool that I use to make this podcast. Um, and then there's, there's uh, Adobe Acrobat, the full version of Adobe Acrobat that does all the PDF stuff that you want. Each of those are standalone products that you can buy a license for. But if you pay, I believe it's $300. I, I, I get my subscription through the university, so I'm not exactly sure what the number is. You get access to all of the software that Adobe offers and any updates that come during that time period, including major updates, you just get as a part of the license. So you have to think about what your cost benefit prospect here is. If you buy a piece of software, a, a, a license for a piece of software, you never actually own the code, you own a license. And it runs on Windows 10. At some point, it's not going to run on Windows 10 anymore. At some point, software is not going to work because we have moved past that platform. We have moved past that environment and you have to buy another, you have to buy another copy of that software, the newer version that's going to run the newer, newer operating system, assuming it's even, you know, still around. Does that make sense? You know, it's, it's this idea of you have a spike of cost and then you have a spike of cost um, and in the middle, you're only getting minor changes and updates. But if you are someone who needs to use a lot of these tools constantly, so for instance, you know, a single license for Photoshop is in the hundreds of dollars. And I probably wouldn't have used Adobe Audition at all if I didn't get as a part of this creative cloud. And now I've kind of come to depend on it as my kind of preferred audio editing tool. 
particularly for this podcast. And I got, I specifically got Photoshop and Premiere when I was doing remote teaching so I can make my YouTube videos for, for my classes. So the prospect of spending the $300, again, I know it's not my money. I'm spending my, you know, UVA teacher money that, you know, is part of my allocation, but spending that $300 a year for multiple high-end products that each individually would cost, you know, at least 50% of that. Well, that's that's kind of a no-brainer. But it, it, for Adobe, they are now much more likely to continue to get that money from year to year as I become dependent on the tools going into the future. So it's a steady state as opposed to spiking. A lot of people do this now with Microsoft Office. So you can get a subscription to Office 365. And when you get that, uh, that subscription to Office 365, you have access to all of the Office tools and continuously as they get updated for later versions. Does that make sense for you? Well, imagine you have someone going off to college. You know, now that, that said, you know, a lot of people use Google Docs nowadays, but let's say that they're just dyed in the wool, have to use Microsoft Office, um, and you're not getting it from your university, I guess. Maybe this isn't the best example, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, paying for a four-year subscription to Microsoft Office and guaranteeing they always have access to it, guaranteeing that it's always updated. If they move to a new computer, you don't have to worry about moving the license. It just, it just works. That could be worth it. So just something to think about. We see much more nowadays of software going to that software as a service, that, that subscription model. It's not something to be terrified of. Um, you know, you do have to make a careful, conscious um, analysis of what the, the cost benefit is for you. But from a software update, software maintenance perspective, being on a subscription plan means you're always getting all of the updates. And so if you're on a subscription plan and you're not doing the updates, <laughs> you're, you're really not taking advantage of the, the reason to be doing it. But there you go. Software maintenance in and to itself, after a software engineering group uh, has released a piece of software, three quarters of the cost of a single piece of software, the, uh, of creating and maintaining and uh, uh, supporting, it's all in that support. Three quarters of the cost go there. I mean, it's, it takes time and effort to build the software up front, but if you think about how long some pieces of software live in just the general ecosystem and how long you have to update it, yeah, that's where the cost comes because you have developers there who are having to do this corrective, perfective, and adaptive maintenance. Because if you're not fixing your software when there's security flaws, that can lead to horrible things. If you're not adding new stuff to the software to keep people coming back, making new sales, well, then you're not reaping all the benefits that you could. And then adaptive, if people have bought your software and now for some reason they can't use it because Windows upgraded or something like that, well, now you have also more angry people that might not buy your software in the future. So it is, from a developer perspective, a good idea to at least keep some of your team, keep an eye on that software, keep it updating, but you got to do your part. So when next time you see that, hey, there's a new version, hey, there's an update, why don't you look and see what that number changes and see if you see any changes to your software. See if you see anything there that you're like, oh, oh, that was just, that was special. That was a, that was just a gift just for me. Now being able to log in with my Facebook ID 
Hey. Hope you're doing well. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe to the podcast, please go to regraderequest.com. Click on the Spotify link. Click on the Apple podcast link. Leave us a review. Leave us a question. We would love to answer your questions on the show. We're actually lining up some guest professors in the coming weeks, which I think will be a lot of fun. So um, here the week before uh, U.S. Thanksgiving, hope you have a wonderful holiday. Don't know if we'll have an episode come out next week or not. We'll see. Who knows? But in the meantime, take care, be safe, and watch for Falling Goats. Bye.